This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290, WNBF Binghamton, and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. This is News Radio 1290, WNBF News. Mostly sunny today, high near 76. Partly cloudy tonight, low around 60. Partly sunny Saturday with a chance of showers, high near 69. Sunday showers with a high near 57. A man wanted in a New York Police Department homicide investigation was taken into custody after he was found in a Binghamton home. Authorities say Thomas Nimmons of Brooklyn was arrested around 8 a.m. Thursday by members of the U.S. Marshals New York, New Jersey Regional Fugitive Task Force. Nimmons was discovered in a single-family residence at 77 Mary Street on Binghamton's south side. According to a news release from the Binghamton Police Department Detective Bureau, Nimmons had been sold in New York City on a parole warrant. He also was swatted on a federal arrest warrant issued by the Eastern District of New York for unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. Nimmons was described as a suspect in a homicide being investigated by police in New York City. He was taken into custody after the Binghamton Metro SWAT team executed a search warrant at the home on Mary Street and transported to city police headquarters where he was turned over to New York Police Department investigators. And Broome County Court Hassan Costin of Binghamton was sentenced to 12 years in New York State Prison. In May, Costin was found guilty by a Broome County jury of felony criminal possession of a controlled substance in the second degree criminal possession of a controlled substance in the third degree, criminal use of drug paraphernalia, and multiple other drug-related charges. On July 29 of 2021, the Broome County Special Investigations Unit Task Force executed a search warrant at an apartment at 100 Roberts Street in the city of Binghamton. Costin was found in possession of over 5.6 ounces of cocaine, crack cocaine, baggies, scale, and $1,200. On August 5th of 2022, a search warrant was executed at 204 Harrison Avenue in the village of Endicott. Costin was found in possession of over 2.5 ounces of cocaine, crack cocaine, and $1,260. Costin, who has a prior felony drug conviction from Nassau County in 2008, will also serve seven years post-release supervision. Thursday around 8.20 a.m., New York State Police and Horseheads responded to a three-vehicle accident with injuries on Route 13 in the town of Veteran. A preliminary investigation revealed a 2016 Ford Fusion operated by a jury of Vanessa of Ithaca was traveling northbound on Route 13 in the left lane, approaching a 2019 Chevy Silverado pulling an open trailer operated by a male from Pine Valley, which was also northbound on State Route 13 in the right lane. A third vehicle, a 2018 Freightliner operated by Jeremy Sobels of Skinny Atlas with an open trailer, was traveling southbound in Route 13 in the single southbound lane. The Chevy began to merge left due to the right lane ending. The Ford was speeding up in an attempt to get around the Chevy. The Ford then made contact with the rear of the Chevy and trailer, causing it to lose control and travel into the southbound lane. The Freightliner then struck the Chevy. The 25-year-old male operator and sole occupant of the Chevy was pronounced deceased on the scene. Vanessa was transported to Guthrie Robert Packer Hospital in Pennsylvania by life flight and is in stable condition. 
Sobels was checked over by EMS on the scene and released. On October 17th, Delaware County Sheriff's deputies located a vehicle parked in the roadway in the town of Walton, unoccupied and nobody around the vehicle. Upon the scene, deputies located hunting equipment in plain view inside the vehicle. Upon further investigation, sheriff's deputies were able to locate multiple juveniles in a field nearby, along with a deceased deer, which appeared to have been killed recently. As a result of the investigation, New York State DEP seized the deer on the scene, scene, and the juveniles were turned over to the care of their parents. On October 25th, the Ross Park Zoo welcomed four red wolves to the pack. It's been several years since there, been, since there have been new additions. The wolves include a 13-year-old male along with three sons, one 6-year-old and the other two 5-years-old. The red wolves arrived at the wolf con- from the Wolf Conservation Center in Salem, New York. They will share the newly renovated Wolf Woods habitat along with Karma, a longtime resident of the Ross Park Zoo. The 13-year-old red wolf and Karma will be taking up residence in the lower yard of the Wolfwoods habitat, while the three brothers will be roaming the upper yard. The upper yard is visible from the outside observation deck and inside the Wolfwoods habitat building. For visitors, the wolves should be more easily spotted with the addition of four more, along with the autumn die-off of ground vegetation. The Wolfwoods indoor facility has been refurbished, is climate controlled, and features large tinted glass windows to observe the Ross Park Zoo's red wolves. The Ross Park Zoo notes that in 1967, red wolves were listed as endangered and in 1980 declared extinct in the wild. Currently, there are about 235 red wolves and 49 red wolf safe facilities in the United States. That's a look at news. For updates on local news, weather, sports, and features, open up the WNBF app and online at WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290, WNBF. I'm Joseph Binghamton now. Friday, October 27th, 2023. We are on the air as we take to the air concern about the IBM collection in the village of Endicott, Washington Avenue. For years, people have been able to enjoy some of the historic items from international business machines in the birthplace of Big Blue. And now, we're being told the IBM collection could be moved out of there. Don't know when. We don't know where the IBM collection will be taken, but there is uh, a great concern now about what happens to the IBM collection. When I think of Endicott, I think of, of course, Speedy's, Endicott Johnson, and IBM. Not necessarily in that order. All three are key components to the history of the Valley of Opportunity. Remember when it was the Valley of Opportunity. Some people believe it still is the Valley of Opportunity. And one of the most important aspects of this becoming the Valley of Opportunity was the work that Thomas J. Watson put into developing 
a company. And the roots of the company are here in upstate New York. And the growth in the early days happened in Endicott. And some would go so far as to say that is Endicott's claim to fame, the birthplace of IBM. So one would think everybody would embrace it. That's what you would expect. You would expect that the items that are part of the IBM collection would stay in Endicott's in perpetuity. Now we're told that the operators of the museum at 40 Washington Avenue are preparing to send all the stuff back to IBM. It's a mystery. It's a mystery without any clues. Why would you send back the items that you're fortunate to have to begin with? IBM, two decades ago, could have decided, eh, eh, we have an IBM museum here on North Street. Eh, we're basically uh, adjusting our business model and reducing our ties to Endicott, New York. So uh, why don't we just take all the stuff that we put together for a beautiful IBM museum that was designed for employees initially, why don't we just take all that stuff and send it over to the scrapyard and get $15 for scrap metal. But IBM didn't do that. IBM reached an agreement to keep those artifacts, keep those very interesting and very important things that were developed by many people at the Endicott site, to keep it here. And one would think everybody in Endicott would be grateful that the stuff is still here. Well, turns out apparently not. Apparently, uh, within a matter of days, the stuff could be shipped away. And who knows what IBM would do with it. IBM, at this stage, IBM doesn't want the stuff. As far as I know, IBM would be happy for Endicott, for the museum at 40 Washington Avenue, to keep it forever. As far as I know, there's nobody who has suggested to me the people in Armonk want this stuff to set up their own IBM museum or IBM land. If they want it, they haven't said so publicly. So as far as I know, they could keep that entire first floor. The IBM collection could keep there that indefinitely. But no, the people who apparently are running the Endicott Museum have a plan to get rid of all the IBM collection. So what are you going to have on the first floor? How do you celebrate Endicott and its history without having a big IBM collection exhibit? I think that's an excellent question. How do you do that? I don't know. I have a few questions about why this is. 
The Endicott History and Heritage Center. It says Endicott, New York is the birthplace of international business machines, IBM. A company that has changed the world for over 100 years. So that's a cornerstone of the museum. The entire ground floor of the museum is devoted to the history of IBM, a world leader in the early developments of computer technology that got its start just up the avenue from the museum. The IBM Museum, originally created by IBM for its employees, is now available for all to see and enjoy. Well, actually, no. Actually, now suddenly the museum is closed. There's no explanation, just a sign saying the museum is closed. Sorry for the inconvenience. So if you never had a chance to see the IBM collection at 40 Washington Avenue, you may be sadly out of luck. Notice to museum visitors, the History Museum will be closed for these Saturdays, October 21st through December 2nd. If you would like to be notified of the date we reopen, send us your email address. Our apologies for any inconvenience. No explanation. It's closed. It's closed. You, you want to see the IBM collection? You can't. You cannot see the IBM collection. It's closed. Apparently, they want the stuff moved out of there in the next few weeks. So maybe they could reopen the place in December. And we can see what exhibits are on the ground floor. 918 WNBF 607-772-1290. The IBM Endicott Collection. If you didn't see it already... You may never, ever get a chance to see it. It's News Radio WNBF. Of course, we're here for you, trying to always get a few answers. There was an exhibit just a few weeks ago on Washington Avenue during the Apple Fest, and I believe the people who run the museum had a lot of IBM Endicott artifacts special things that were at the exhibit. I stopped by to take some pictures because I thought, well, that's history, and it's right out here being celebrated with thousands of people during Endicott's Big Apple Fest. And who knew that some of those things that were out there on Washington Avenue just a few weeks ago, who knew that might be the last time that the public would see them. So why would they want to delete the proud history of IBM in Endicott? Who wants to distance Endicott and IBM? What could the motive be? What could the motive be? Why would... The Endicott Museum send a certified letter to IBM indicating we no longer want your collection. 
Why? Why would they? Morning, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Bob Warren Bush from Sydney, New York. Hi, you're, you're on the air. Welcome to WNBF Radio. You're on the air. Yes, uh, Warren Bush from Sydney, New York. It, it, it's a different topic, but uh, Bob, yesterday I visited a friend in a nursing home, okay? And the nursing home was in Endicott, not Endicott, but was in Norwich, excuse me. And I was applauded. I mean, um, as soon as you go to where the patients were, I mean, you could literally smell human feces. And I brought my friend that just recently got out of uh, Wilson Hospital there. And I brought him some uh, Burger King like he wanted. And uh, I had to open a window. And I said to him, I said, how do you stand it? He said, well, it's like this all the time. I said, no. So... A little while later, uh, the nurse came in giving medicine out, and I said to the nurse, I said, ma'am, I said, no offense, I said, but this place, it smells. I said, you know, doesn't anybody come and check on you people or anything like that? Without missing a beat, Bob, she says to me, she says, well, if they're going to go after us, they have to go after the hospitals, they have to go after everybody else, because everybody is so short uh, from hospitals, nursing staff, all over. And the hospitals keep sending these people out. And I said, well, what about the state? What about, and all like that. And she says, and he says well, they, 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 they know what's going on, but they, you know, they kind of, I said, they know what's going on. I said, then what about Medicaid, Medicare? I mean, if you guys are running short on staff, but billing full charge, isn't that fraud? And she says to me, she goes, again, Mr. Boy, she goes, I don't know who you are. So I identified myself. And she says to me, she says, what do you work for the government? I said, no, but I said, I'm concerned that, that my friend has to put up with this kind of treatment. And she says, you know, she goes, I'm going to tell you something. She goes, I've been here 17 years. And she says, other than holidays, most everybody, they don't even, they're like the forgotten people. And they, and no one cares about them. In a nursing home, like I say, unless she said, like, unless it's a holiday, I said, well, I, I certainly care. And I went home and I did my research and I called uh, Joseph Angeline, uh, the assemblyman in Norwich. I called Peter Osterbecker, uh, my Senate person in uh, Oneana. And, and I got no response back from them. I, I emailed Kristen Gillibrand, and by shock, I was completely applauded. <laughs> but I got a call back from Chuck Schumer's office in Binghamton, New York. And the gentleman first said to me, she go, he goes, well, we're not aware of this. And I said, well, then I'm bringing it to your attention. And he said, well, I don't think this is a federal, this is a state. I said, well, Medicaid, Medicare... It's federal programs. I said, if they're committing fraud and not providing the proper services, is it, you know, I mean, if you or I committed fraud, you, you'd go to jail. But the only well, I guess the bottom, the bottom line is what can be done. I mean, the bottom line is there are not enough people to care for the people in nursing homes and hospitals. So 
what what is the solution? Yes, I know there's a problem. I know there are big problems at nursing homes and hospitals and other care facilities around New York and around the country. And most of the problem, not all of the problem, but a big part of the problem is there aren't enough people to care for the people at at these facilities. So what's the solution? Well, that's what I'm asking you. Well, again, there is none. You know, it, it, yes, the the conditions, as you observe firsthand, are appalling and terrible. But how can it be fixed? Until until people decide that they're willing to work in nursing homes and hospitals, and all the unfilled positions can be filled by qualified, caring people, these conditions will persist. In fact, I'll I'll tell you, they're likely to get a lot worse. Can I say something to you, though? I mean, you're 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 getting up there. I'm getting up there. We're all going to get up there. Do we want to be treated that way? No. I'd rather live in a cardboard box next to the river than in a place like you described. No, I'm saying the problem is there's no apparent solution. I'm not... I'm not disputing anything you said. I'm sure Charles Schumer, if he visited that nursing home, which you know he won't, but I'm sure if he did, he would... Uh, hold a Sunday afternoon news conference and wag his senatorial finger and say how terrible it is. That's easy. Talk is cheap. Solutions are difficult. But but we're doing all this for all these illegals and all this other stuff. Hey, they deserve to be cared for, too. Don't bring them into it. That has nothing to do. The people who are coming to America looking for a better life, that has nothing to do with the conditions of the nursing home in Shenango County. And it has nothing to do with the conditions of the hospitals in New York and Pennsylvania and the other 48 great states. That has nothing to do. One has nothing to do with the other. In fact, some people would argue bringing in some people to this country, millions of people who might be willing to work at some of these jobs, maybe that could be part of a solution. No, Bob. They're taking money away that could be used to help these people. All right. Well, thank you for your opinion. I appreciate your call. It's 927. Coming up next, the IBM Endicott Collection. Why? Why would anyone want to send the IBM Endicott Collection back to Big Blue? That's a question we'll explore with Broome County's historian, Roger Luther. It's coming up next. We're live on a Friday morning. I'm Bob Joseph. This is Binghamton Now. From the Galt Auto Studios, this is WNBF News Radio AM 1290. Also available at 92.1 FM. We're still saving the southern tier money at Galt Toyota. Nine thirty in Binghamton. Six thirty in Pacific Palisades. Good morning to all of our listeners across America and around the world at WNBF.com. This is Binghamton now. I'm Bob Joseph. And we're joined now in the studio by Broome County historian Roger Luther. Good morning. Hi, Bob. Pleasure to be here. Well, thank you for joining us. So I'm very uh surprised. I was stunned 
to learn that uh, the process apparently is in motion to have the IBM Endicott collection at 40 Washington Avenue returned to its corporate owners. I mean, nobody doubts that IBM still owns the IBM Endicott collection, and unfortunately, for the last decade, it's been available for people in Endicott and even from out of town to come and see here in what we regard as the birthplace of IBM. But now there's uh, a real concern that nobody in Broome County or anywhere else might be able to see some of these important IBM historical artifacts in the future. Yeah, this this is terrible news. Uh, you said you're surprised. Well, I was surprised, too. I'd uh, actually been hearing uh, rumors for the last few weeks that this might be in the works, but I was not able to confirm it. Uh, so, heck, yesterday I, I went on a one of the Facebook groups about uh, historical Endicott and just posted a simple question, you know, does anybody know what's happening? And, oh, man, got a flood of responses. Uh, some of those responses were from people that were directly involved in the situation. So so we got details. Uh, but most of the, uh, well, all of the other responses were just outrage. You know, you used that word in your article yesterday, Bob, and, and outrage is exactly what, what is being felt out there. Uh that is just too important uh, to Endicott to let it go. Well, and again, to be clear, there's no indication that IBM contacted the people in Endicott saying that we want our items back, that we the loan is over, please send back the, the things we've loaned you for the last 10 years or so. IBM... To the best of my knowledge, now I haven't contacted any corporate people at IBM, but to the best of my knowledge, IBM was probably content with this arrangement. Yeah, and that's the impression I got from uh, many of the comments on the uh, on social media. So what now? Because if, as, and as I reported, as soon as I heard about this, that this, this a vote apparently had been taken a few weeks ago, and there are questions about the way the vote was actually taken by the, the board of directors of the Endicott History and Heritage Center. As soon as I heard about it, I headed to Endicott to check the place out, see what signs might be posted and what kind of information. If any, I, you know, I, I was speeding over to Endicott early yesterday afternoon with a, a certain degree of trepidation because I thought, well, it might look okay on the front side of the place, but what if, what if I go around the back? And see uh, a couple of giant moving trucks yeah. being loaded, and and I didn't know. I mean, fortunately, that that was not what I saw, but I did see some activity in the building, and I wound up talking with some people. Fortunately, they weren't there to take the stuff away, but I I had you know a certain a certain fear that I might see them you know taking the the final two items out and shutting the door on, on a moving van and, and heading off to Armonk or probably a nondescript warehouse in Westchester County. Yeah. You know, you know, it's tough not having all the information in front of us. You know, it it may turn out that this is we're overreacting, but, you know, all indications are that that's not the case. I can tell you this, well, you know this, it would be a tragedy for uh, this area to lose that collection. That is it's not just a piece of Endicott history. It is Endicott history. 
that equipment in the room, it's, well, first of all, it's priceless, but it's, those products are what made IBM the success it is. Those products were built in Endicott by Endicott people. It would just be a tragedy to, to uh, lose that, in my opinion. Uh, IBM started there in 1905. They started there with a small building and 25 employees. Uh, I checked Google yesterday, and IBM is now worth $125 billion. So <laughs> Endicott had a lot to do with that uh, over the years. It all started in Endicott. We don't, we don't want to lose this collection. Well, my guess is, and again, I, I doubt anybody from IBM would be willing to come on the program to talk about it because, first of all, they, they'll, they'll see the story and know it's a sensitive issue for the community. But and, and they might at some point release a statement. I wouldn't be surprised if we request comment that they'll release a carefully crafted statement, maybe something along the lines of IBM has been pleased to allow the IBM Endicott collection to be on display in Abroom County for the last decade, but we respect the wishes of the people who control the museum. That that yeah. seems to me like the type of corporate statement that we might receive from IBM. But I would think, and even people affiliated with the company who never have been to Endicott but are in any way familiar with its history, going back more than a century to upstate New York, I would think even some of them would probably be thinking, well, gee, it may not mean a lot to us now in 2023, but we're at least pleased as a company that the people who were an instrumental part of, of this business when it was getting its start still care enough and appreciate the the history that they are offering this for whether and it's not in my opinion it's not just for people in Endicott but from talking with the executive director she said people come from all around oh, yeah. they, they come from all across the United States and Canada and make the trek to Endicott and sometimes plan their their uh, travels so they could be there sometime between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. on Saturday when the Endicott History and Heritage Center is open. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame. The you know the company left town. The buildings are close behind. In fact, that very first uh, Bundy building is slated for demolition as we speak. Uh, there's not much left except for this exhibit. This exhibit will keep the memories alive, not just for the people that worked there and that are here today, but the future generations. And so it's an educational exhibit. Yeah. Again, some people, I've heard sometimes people say, well, uh, in the triple cities, especially folks like you who grew up here, you, you, you stay wedded too much to the past and always focus on on our history and the great things that have happened and are not looking ahead to the future. I say, no, I, I celebrate the past, I celebrate the present, and I look forward with enthusiasm to the future. But I don't think that whether you grew up in Endicott or have never visited the village of Endicott, I don't think there's any anything to be gained by not having that exhibit available so people can learn more about the most important industrial companies, I would say, in the history of the world. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, these, not just the IBM, but the EJ collection 
at uh, the History and Heritage Center. They are incredible collections. The first floor is filled with IBM. The second floor is filled with uh, Endicott Johnson. What an incredible resource. And it's always kind of puzzled me why they don't get more traffic in there. And, in fact, a lot of people don't even know that it exists. So hopefully this will all work out. The IBM collection will stay here, and people will uh, know about this uh, resource. And absolutely, it's it's an opportunity, and I I think it would be great, say, if other communities around Broome County and Tioga County had um, access to some of the the key artifacts from their history. I mean, different places have have smaller museums, but I think what exists there on Washington Avenue is one of the most extensive celebrations of of two of the greatest enterprises that ever affected our area. When you think of IBM and EJ, the impact that they had throughout most of the 20th century on just, not just the southern tier of New York and northeastern Pennsylvania, but in many cases the world in terms of the amount of products that were developed and manufactured there and then were sold to people in, in virtually every country on the planet. Yeah. Speaking with Roger Luther, the Broome County historian, I am waiting to hear from Ted Warner. He's the president of the Endicott History and Heritage Center because I I think he is in a position to help explain what is going on and what prompted the decision to send a letter. I'm told a certified letter was sent to IBM indicating that basically... It, it was time for IBM to make arrangements to get the these items yeah. from Endicom. It's interesting. When I first started hearing the rumors, I I, I called uh, Ted on another matter, and uh, during the course of the conversation, talked a little bit about the uh, the collection, and there was no indication that anything was in the works. So, don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm waiting to hear from him as soon as he calls in. We'll either talk to him by phone or if he wants to make arrangements to stop by the studio to uh, discuss it. Uh, A member of the board sent me an email, and the email says, No one who has voted against this decision has seen a copy of the letter to IBM, and they have continually requested it from Ted. And she emailed him earlier this week and demanded that it be released to us by 4 p.m., today. This is an email she sent uh, this morning. Those of us that are committed to keeping our history alive and well are very considered of the future of the entire museum. This area has such a rich history that we were finally making the connections with other organizations for either sponsorships or having groups come to see us. And this decision by a small subset of the board has truly harmed our forward progress. Very well put. So that's from Katie Rodriguez, uh, a member of the board and she uh, is strongly opposed to this the executive director of the facility Marlene Yakas um, she said we're just devastated I spoke with her at length yesterday and she was a long time she and her husband worked at IBM for decades and you know they have volunteered over the years to help educate people about the amazing history of international business machines and how it impacted the Endicott region 
and then ultimately the world. Well, the, the board members are devastated for sure, and if social media is any indication, the entire community is devastated. They feel the same way. We'll follow this going forward. If anybody has information, by the way, please contact me, Bob, at WNBF.com. Please keep me in the loop because this is a, it's an incredibly important story, not just for Endicott and our region at the moment, but looking forward. And I think whatever happens needs to be properly reported and carefully documented. Any other thoughts, Roger? No, I don't think so. Well, keep me posted. If you hear something new, perhaps I will do there'll that. be um, a future meeting, maybe. Maybe a community meeting could be set up so people could better understand, appreciate. If there are financial issues, and there, I don't doubt that, like with every institution these days, especially institutions that... Are, are relatively small and reliant on volunteers. I don't doubt that the museum in Endicott faces financial challenges, but I'm, it's unclear to me how any financial challenges the Endicott History and Heritage Center might be facing. It's unclear to me how that situation could be helped by removing a, basically a, an essential cornerstone of the facility. Yeah, and there are, there are resources available. If, the, if financial issues are the problem, uh, they don't have to be. That can be worked out. Prune County historian Roger Luther, thank you for joining us in the studio. Thank you, Bob. This is Binghamton now at 945 on a Friday morning. You're listening to News Radio, WNBF 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, streaming at WNBF.com. WNBF at 947, serving the community for nearly a century. My name's Bob Joseph. I have just a few questions. 607-772-1290. If you'd like to participate on Binghamton Now, what are your thoughts? forecast. It feels summer-like again today. Sunny, high 77, partly cloudy tonight, low 59, partly sunny tomorrow with a chance of showers, high 72, and then showers on Sunday, high 54. And I have to admit, this is a summer extravaganza, bonus summer weather for those who Celebrate summer. It's reason to celebrate. It's not bad. Not bad. Right now in downtown Binghamton, it's 57. I know, you're saying, but Bob, 
what would that be Celsius-wise? Uh, that would be 14 Celsius-wise. Coming up today on WNBF, the talk continues with Dan Bongino from noon to 3, Sean Hannity from 3 to 6, Mark Levin from 6 to 9. If you like to hear discussions about current events, you are at the right place. WNBF, 92.1 FM, 1290 AM. Stay connected using the WNBF app. Fifty-three, Binghamton now with Bob Joseph on WNBF, the station that brings you information seven days a week. Bad news from the wide world of sports with word that John Jones, John Jones, will not fight. It was uh, going to be a heavyweight title fight. But according to Dana White of UFC, John Jones, the pride of Union Endicott, will not fight. He cannot fight. He was supposed to defend the UFC heavyweight title. And it was supposed to be the main event of uh, the UFC on November 11th. But Dana White says John Jones tore something off the bone in training. So a pectoral tendon. I don't know anything about pectoral tendons, but... If you tear a pectoral tendon off your bone, I would say it's got to hurt. So we wish John Jones, the pride of Union Endicott, the best. Mr. White says John Jones will need surgery, which will keep him out for about eight months. So we wish John Jones, the pride of Union Endicott, the best. Let's see uh, heels. 9.55 here at WNBF. 100. Good morning, Binghamton, Endicott, Johnson City, Bethel, Windsor, Whitney Point, Halstead, and Hazleton. <laughs> Wherever you're listening, good morning to you and yours. Hope you're having a great day so far. Jeffries Watch, Hakeem Jeffries in the news, in the spotlights. The House Minority Leader, Hakeem Jeffries, along with the new House Speaker, Mike Johnson, attended a briefing at the White House on President Biden's request for a supplemental funding measure 
more money for Ukraine and Israel, as well as funds for the southern U.S. border and humanitarian needs. Hakeem Jeffries, a Binghamton University graduate, spoke to reporters as he left the meeting at the White House. Our view uh, is that whatever is done should be bipartisan in nature. The president has made a request. It's comprehensive. And I think that that comprehensive request should be taken up as one package. Congressman Hakeem Jeffries speaking in Washington, D.C. after a meeting with President Joe Biden and the newly elected House Speaker Mike Johnson. And that's the story from Washington. Making contemporary news. <laughs> I know. This is a radio program. But a good one. Stay tuned. There's more to come. I'm Bob Joseph. Binghamton Now, WNBF Binghamton. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF News. Mostly sunny today, high near 76. Partly cloudy tonight, low around 60. Partly sunny Saturday with a chance of showers, high near 69. Sunday showers with a high near 57. A man wanted in a New York Police Department homicide investigation was taken into custody after he was found in a Binghamton home. Authorities say Thomas Nimmons of Brooklyn was arrested around 8 a.m. Thursday by members of the U.S. Marshals New York, New Jersey Regional Fugitive Task Force. Nimmons was discovered in a single-family residence at 77 Mary Street on Binghamton's south side. According to a news release from the Binghamton Police Department Detective Bureau, Nimmons had been sold in New York City on a parole warrant. He also was swatted on a federal arrest warrant issued by the Eastern District of New York for unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. Nimmons was described as a suspect in a homicide being investigated by police in New York City. He was taken into custody after the Binghamton Metro SWAT team executed a search warrant at the home on Mary Street and transported to city police headquarters where he was turned over to New York Police Department investigators. And Broome County Court, Hassan Costin of Binghamton was sentenced to 12 years in New York State Prison. In May, Costin was found guilty by a Broome County jury of felony criminal possession of a controlled substance in the second degree, criminal possession of a controlled substance in the third degree, criminal use of drug paraphernalia, and multiple other drug-related charges. On July 29 of 2021, the Broome County Special Investigations Unit Task Force executed a search warrant at an apartment at 100 Robert Street in the city of Binghamton. Costin was found in possession of over 5.6 ounces of cocaine, crack cocaine, baggies, scale, and $1,200. On August 5th of 2022, a search warrant was executed at 204 Harrison Avenue in the village of Endicott. Costin was found in possession of over 2.5 ounces of cocaine, crack cocaine, and $1,260. Costin, who has a prior felony drug conviction from Nassau County in 2008, will also serve seven years post-release supervision. Thursday around 8.20 a.m., New York State Police and Horseheads responded to a three-vehicle accident with injuries on Route 13 in the town of Veteran. 
A preliminary investigation revealed a 2016 Ford Fusion operated by a jury of Vanessa of Ithaca was traveling northbound on Route 13 in the left lane, approaching a 2019 Chevy Silverado pulling an open trailer operated by a male from Pine Valley, which was also northbound on State Route 13 in the right lane. A third vehicle, a two 2018 Freightliner operated by Jer- Jeremy Sobels of Skinny Atlas with an open trailer, was traveling southbound in Route 13 in the single southbound lane. The Chevy began to merge left due to the right lane ending. The Ford was speeding up in an attempt to get around the Chevy. The Ford then made contact with the rear of the Chevy and trailer, causing it to lose control and travel into the southbound lane. The Freightliner then struck the Chevy. The 25-year-old male operator and sole occupant of the Chevy was pronounced deceased on the scene. Finesse was transported to Guthrie Robert Packer Hospital in Pennsylvania by life flight and is in stable condition. Sobos was checked over by EMS on the scene and released. On October 17th, Delaware County Sheriff's deputies located a vehicle parked in the roadway in the town of Walton, unoccupied and nobody around the vehicle. Upon the scene, deputies located hunting equipment in plain view inside the vehicle. Upon further investigation, sheriff's deputies were able to locate multiple juveniles in a field nearby, along with a deceased deer, which appeared to have been killed recently. As a result of the investigation, New York State DEP seized the deer on the scene, and the juveniles were turned over to the care of their parents. On October 25th, the Ross Park Zoo welcomed four red wolves to the pack. It's been several years since there have been, since there have been new additions. The wolves include a 13-year-old male along with three sons, one 6-year-old and the other two 5 years old. The red wolves arrived at the wolf con- from the Wolf Conservation Center in Salem, New York. They will share the newly renovated Wolf Woods habitat along with Karma, a longtime resident of the Ross Park Zoo. The 13-year-old red wolf and karma will be taking up residence in the lower yard of the Wolfwoods habitat, while the three brothers will be roaming the upper yard. The upper yard is visible from the outside observation deck and inside the Wolfwoods habitat building. For visitors, the wolves should be more easily spotted with the addition of four more, along with the autumn die-off of ground vegetation. The Wolfwoods indoor facility has been refurbished, is climate controlled, and features large tinted glass windows to observe the Ross Park Zoo's red wolves. The Ross Park Zoo notes that in 1967, red wolves were listed as endangered and in 1980 declared extinct in the wild. Currently, there are about 235 red wolves and 49 red wolf safe facilities in the United States. That's a look at news. For updates on local news, weather, sports, and features, open up the WNBF app and online at WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290, WNBF. From the Golf Auto Studios, this is WNBF News Radio AM 1290. Also available at 92.1 FM. We sell the ultimate driving machine at Galt BMW. This is Bob Joseph. You're listening to Binghamton Now on 
a Friday morning. We'll be taking more of your phone calls coming up. So stand by. If you'd like to talk on the radio, we'll look forward to speaking with you this morning on Binghamton Now. We're joined now by Sophia Mattern from Dickin Memorial Animal Hospital in Endicott. Good morning, Sophia. Good morning, Bob. How are you today? I am well. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And I appreciate your joining us to let us know about a special event that will be taking place tomorrow. It's an adoption event and trying to find some forever homes for uh, some wonderful cats. Tell us about what will be taking place tomorrow. Yes, so tomorrow here at Dickey Memorial Animal Hospital from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m., we are having an adoption event where we will be um, allowing people into our hospital to walk around and have meet and greets with all of the cats that we have adoptable. Um, We have about 20 cats that are up for adoption at this time. Um, And there are some perks about adopting from us. They... Uh, every cat comes spayed and neutered and fully vaccinated at the time of their adoption. Um, and they are free to go to a good home, so there is no adoption fee. But we do appreciate donations if you are in a, financially a place to be able to do so. And then each cat that gets adopted from us comes with free veterinary care for one year um, with their adoption. And that includes like annual exams and vaccines. And the best perk of all is that you gain a best friend. Well, it's... I think it's a great opportunity. Uh, I love cats and dogs, and I know so many of our listeners love them as well. And if people are in a position to provide a good home, of course, it's important, too, for people to learn about what it means to be a pet owner. And there there are responsibilities. If you have never owned uh, a pet, a cat or a dog or other uh, pet, you, you need to do a little work and ask a few questions to to make sure that you can provide the kind of care that really is is appropriate for your new pet. Yes, and that is a really great point. And we are open to having those conversations with people who are interested in adopting animals, um, as all of us do own pets as well as work in the veterinary field. Um, So we are more than willing to help give you the guidance and answer any questions that you may have about adoptions. So the adoption event will be going on tomorrow at at the uh, site on East Main Street in Endicott? Yes, we're located at 2001 East Main Street in Endicott, and that's where the adoption event will be taking place. And what are the hours? From 12 to 4. All right. By the way, I'm glad that uh, you've decided to stick around here in the Binghamton area after your studies at Binghamton University. I know we spoke a few days ago, and you're from Long Island, and you are uh, are, are working now at uh, Dickon Memorial, and I know you have big plans. I, I was very, very excited to hear what, what your hopes are going forward as you um, move forward uh, with your career plans. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I do hope to be able to bring 24-hour emergency care to the 
Binghamton area. Um, I just have to get into veterinary school first. Well, it's it's a great start. It's great that uh, you enjoyed your your time at Binghamton University, and also now are working as a veterinary assistant in Endicott, and then long term. Hopefully, you would be in a position to provide a, a very important and much-needed service here in the Binghamton area, one of the services that, sadly, we're lacking at the moment. We uh, we don't have a, a good local place to uh, to transport our, our pets to if, if they need emergency care, say, late at night or on weekends. We sometimes wind up having to travel to Ithaca or elsewhere, and that's... Uh, it's very tough, especially if you have a dog or a cat who's who's in pain. Yeah, and I'm definitely passionate about being able to provide that care. Um, so I hope that I get in this cycle so that I'll be able to offer those services in about four years. But fingers crossed about getting into vet school. Well, sounds like you have a good attitude, so I wish you well. Sophia Mattern from Dickin Memorial Animal Hospital on East Main Street in Endicott. And, of course, the cat adoption event will be tomorrow afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. I wish you the best. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Thanks. 1016. I'm Bob Joseph. Live, this is Binghamton Now. On a Friday morning, we're here. What are your thoughts? Local issues or other issues? 607-772-1290. WNBF. WNBF WNBF.com. at WNBF, June in Endwell. You're on the air. Good morning. Thank you, Bob. Good morning. A um, couple things. I won't keep you long. Uh, did you know that Donna Lopardo has an opponent this year in the election? Yeah, I heard. I heard that oh. was... Uh, well, I mean, it's not this year. The election's next year. Oh, Oh, I thought it was too soon for that. You're right. right. But anyhow, she's going to have an opponent. Yep. And I think it's it's time. You know what I mean? She's been in office since 2005. I don't ever remember anybody running against her. Do you? Oh, there have been challengers. There have? Yeah. I, I don't. Well, I, I, I can think of at least one in particular. And I'm actually, <laughs> I... I used to be in touch with him, and I've, I haven't been in touch with him lately. I'll have to give him a call. Um, he's no longer around here. In fact, I think he's in Canada. But, um, yeah, she occasionally has had challenges, but I don't recall any, like, recent big, big challenges. And okay. so, I mean, if you look at the history around here, at least in recent history, for state uh, lawmakers, members of the Assembly and members of the State Senate, it's extremely rare that they face 
a strong challenger. And some right. have said there's a reason for that. I I personally can't I can't tell you officially why why things are the way they are. But but remember, say for so many years, if you go way back, uh, Floyd Anderson as uh, senator, then Warren Anderson, and then Tom Libis. Did they ever really face a strong Democratic challenger? And then typically, members of the Assembly over the years, from Broome and Tioga counties, typically, once they were elected, did they very often face strong opponents? No. No. And, and no, you, 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 can, you can draw your own conclusions. Right. I, I always think, and, and regardless of of the office, this is my official position. It has nothing to do with any individual, with incumbents or or anything like that. I believe every time there's an election that it should be a contested election. Uh, I if, say agree. If, say if, if someone, for example, for example, Dave Harder was sheriff of Broome County for many years, and then finally he did retire and when he announced his retirement, there at least were Republican and Democratic candidates who ran for the office. I think, and even over the years, every four years, Dave Harder would face a Democrat, but many people would say, eh, it was, it was just sort of limited opposition. There, right. I, I don't recall any any sheriff's race, for example, in recent years that was closed. Now... Another Broome County position, as we've seen, as uh, evidenced in 2019 and again this year, the DA's race, we've seen exactly. some very close contests. And we, oh, we, yeah. we saw what happened with the Republican primary uh, four years ago and then the Republican primary um, this year. And, and of course, what, a, what an unusual race it turned out to be. In November 2019, a three-way race where ultimately Mike Korchak were, uh, running on or, uh, the Libertarian Party line eked out a victory over Paul Battisti, who was the Republican candidate. And, right. and of course, there was uh, a third uh, candidate, a Democratic candidate, and she didn't come close to getting the, the numbers that the, the top two finishers received. So I don't know. It's... Regardless of, and I, I say this is true for villages and towns and county positions, uh, city, for mayor and city council, I always think the voters are best served by uh, having the choice of two qualified candidates. I do, too. I think it's healthy for the whole yeah. system. And I, I think really it's healthy. Do. I think it's healthy <laughs> for the incumbent. And, yeah. and I just, I, I know... A lot of times incumbents find themselves, if they're facing what they think is a serious challenge, a lot of times the strategy is to limit any debates because the theory is by agreeing to debate your opponent, you're only giving your opponent that much more attention or credibility because in a debate, if only for 30 or 60 minutes, you're on a level playing field. So the person who's the challenger gets the same sort of prominence as, as the incumbents. So, of course, the strategy, and 
It could be for local, state, or national races. Strategy tends to be, if you're ahead, an incumbent, you have nothing to gain by debating and potentially everything to lose. So, because you only, and let's face it, as, as an incumbent in any office, you have the advantage. You have name recognition. You can, if you want, call a news conference or a photo op anytime you want and you're not guaranteed media attention, but you probably will get it. But right. challengers, just by their very nature, challengers have a hard time getting organized, trying to set up a campaign staff, um, and, of course, money. Money. Exactly. You need lots of money if you want to advertise, even in a small town, a small market like Binghamton, the uh, the commercials, the radio and TV commercials or newspaper ads or online advertising, it's not cheap. And, right. uh, and a lot of times people are very reluctant to give money to a challenger because if it's found out, of course it will be found out because campaign contributions are uh, on the public record. So if even if, if you're just trying to be a good sport and say, eh, Bob is running for whatever. I know Bob doesn't stand a chance because he's Bob, but I kind of like Bob and I kind of feel sorry for him because he's going to have trouble raising any money. So I'm going right. to donate $100 to, you know, the Bob for Dog Catcher Fund. And then, <laughs> you know, and, and then somebody, the incumbent dog catcher, finds out that you supported Bob with a $100 contribution. And then, of course, the incumbent dog catcher is reelected in a landslide. And then, again, this is all hypothetical. And then the dog catcher, who never forgets, starts to focus on you and yeah. your dog. And, you know, yeah. would, and that's what I'm saying. Go. That's why, and, and say, especially say at the, the state and, <clears throat> and national level, that's why a lot of challengers are always going to find it tough to get traction because you in many cases don't want to be seen supporting a challenger when the odds are that they they won't be elected and the incumbent will get another two or four years i mean because the theory is and it's only a theory is that a sore winner could exact retribution against people who supported the opponent now does that happen in real life? I doubt it, but I can understand why there's a perception. Like, say, oh, we'll just say hypothetically a few years ago, someone in Binghamton gave $1,000 to a Republican challenger, someone who was facing Andrew Cuomo. Again, this is hypothetical, and I know it wouldn't have happened in real life, but you could imagine some people fearing that Andrew Cuomo, after he won re-election, would see to it that that person who gave a thousand bucks to his Republican challenger would never get state business again. You got that right. And again, <laughs> there's no evidence that ever would happen, but right. you can understand why why people might think it could happen. There's no evidence because nobody looks for it. But anyway, well, and the know, other thing as as is no, and the other thing. Speaking of Andrew Cuomo, and again, this is all hypothetical, except this part's true. He made it a point, as far as we know, to never use email. So he was, and I don't know that he did much texting. The te- the type of texting he did was on those old uh, BlackBerry devices that didn't uh, leave any 
electronic trace, so the messages right. could not be preserved. Again, there's no evidence that Andrew Cuomo ever committed a crime ever in his nearly 70 years of existence. But I'm saying he he was very wise, in my estimation, as all people are, very wise to put very, very little of your business down on uh, on paper or in digital form because exactly. there's nothing to be gained. Didn't Obama use BlackBerry? He was missing th- not having that I think anymore. He did. And I think to myself, what 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 would that be so special? But yeah. anyhow, but that's true. The, the main people who who clung to BlackBerry devices uh-huh. the longest seem to be politicians. No yeah. Yep. No trail. There you go. But let me just finish with this Lopardo thing. I don't have anything against her. You know, I don't. I couldn't tell you anything she's done. But when I heard about I, the IBM collection leaving. In the report or that I read or heard, I can't remember which it was, it said she heard a rumor about it. Did she proactively seek someone out? You said you tried to contact someone, you couldn't get anybody, or someone else said that. I'm not sure who. But, you know, I just wonder how proactive is she because she's been in that office for so gosh darn long. Well, that's a good question, and you know? we we probably are going to be speaking with her soon oh, about this good. issue. But I also will say, if I mean the the museum we're talking about, the Endicott History yeah. and Heritage Center, it's a private outfit that, which has received support. Uh, it did receive, uh, I think, in 2017, some state support that was. Um, secured by Assemblywoman Lopardo, but because it's a private entity, it seems to me, apparently, their philosophy is they don't have to answer to anyone. As I said, I, I left a message for the center president, Ted Warner, and I haven't heard back. So, yeah. I mean, if he wants to call in or if he wants to send an email to explain what's going on, again, because it seems, or not seems to be, it is a private organization right now even though it's received some government support i don't know that there were strings attached to any grant that it may have received but say even if donald lapardo or jason garner or linda jackson or bob joseph had heard about this before the what apparently was a vote a few weeks ago um and we called and said What's going on? And we personally don't think it's a good idea. I I don't know. I mean, maybe that would sway the people who who apparently want to send back the IBM Endicott collection. Maybe it would right. change their mind, or maybe they'd say, "Yeah, thanks." When next time we want your opinion on the private operation we have here at Forty Washington <laughs> Avenue, we'll be sure to give you a call. In the, in the meantime. In the meantime, how about you stay in your lane, you do your little radio show, right. and we'll run our, our museum. I mean, well, could, I'm not true. saying... There's that, a yeah. lot to it. Yeah. There's and, a lot to it. But, yeah. you know, it would make the community feel a little bit better, well, maybe. we'll find I out. Know. I mean, yeah. you know, the reason we ask a few questions is to get a few answers. Right. So, right. And, I, and, you know, plenty of questions, I admit. I have a few questions for Ted Warner. I have a few questions for Donald Lepardo. I have a few questions for a lot of people about this. And my guess is 
some people may not want to respond to my questions. True. You know? True. But, you know, it's yeah, well, it's our heritage. It's our center. Right. I mean, again, I say it's ours like like I own the place. No, well. I never I I mean, but I consider here's the problem. Well, I don't know if it's a problem. Maybe it's my problem. Here's the situation. So you know that I love Endwell and Endicott. You know right. that I I've grown up here and I think I've made it clear that I grew up in an IBM family, so there's a certain je ne sais quoi when it comes to IBM. It's it's hard to describe. If you're not if you didn't grow up in an IBM family, maybe you can't you can't appreciate it. And if you didn't grow up in Endwell or Endicott, where most well, I don't know if it was the majority, but thousands and thousands of parents worked for IBM for years. Okay. And we benefited okay. from a certain type sure. of life, lifestyle, access to the country club on Watson Boulevard and so on. So just the thought that artifacts that sort of celebrate that era may be leaving Endicott, I think that's a pretty big story. That's right. That's right. Well, I'm going to, can I say two more things that I called about? Sure. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, I should say that my family was not fortunate to work for IBM, but I still have that connection to IBM. Just seeing the people that used to come out for lunch on Washington Avenue will never leave my mind, and thinking how lucky they were to have all those nice things that they had. But anyway, I want to thank one of your uh, callers, I think it was Sandy, that mentioned using the right-in vote. If you don't want to vote for either party or anybody running on that particular ticket. And do you know that a big light bulb went off in my mind? I thought, why didn't I ever think of that? Instead of not voting for somebody because they're unopposed year after year after year, leaving that blank, write in somebody you'd like to. At least you're giving a vote to somebody you care for. So I appreciate Sandy. She has some really good ideas. And one last thing I want to tell you, I dislike that Lumi commercial that plays about a hundred times a day. I can say it by heart. I absolutely despise that commercial. So that's all I got well, to say. If that's today. the case, then I guess that's <laughs> effective because the whole point of advertising is to get attention and we live Annoying. in we, we live in a we Let's face it, no matter where we go in our society, we're, we're, uh, constantly facing advertising and Fifth Avenue knows what they're doing. That's right. Hey, I know that's where you make your money, but and I don't know, I know. if you ever listen oh, to me. Oh, I, it's, look, I, ooh. hey, I work here. How do you know? I'm not the one. It's not my voice, but with AI, maybe it was my voice and then I changed it so people wouldn't say, Oh, Bob, that's pretty, pretty impressive what you came up with for all you know that's my voice adjusted by, with ai and maybe i wrote the script for all you know although i will oh, well, say you did i will say confidentially i didn't write the script but thank heaven <laughs> anyway thank well, you for listening thanks for li listening and i'll talk to you sometime soon <laughs> okay. bye bye now thanks. bye it's 10 37 this is bob joseph at wnbf I have yet to be replaced by artificial intelligence, but you can bet there are people working day and night 
to make sure that happens for you at WNBF. Vic from the Forks, you're on the air. Oh, I tripped on a cloud and fell eight miles down. <laughs> they don't write them like that anymore. Take that, Swifty Taylor. I don't think he wrote it. I think he saw it in his head. <laughs> I bet he, I, I bet, I bet, and he's, you're thinking to yourself, gee, I'm glad that guy's not in the jump seat on my uh, flight out of the state of Washington. If that guy's in the jump seat and he's singing like that, I don't think we're going to make it to our intended destination. I think that was more comedic than musical. Uh, perhaps. <laughs> but, Bob, I called because of your statement about um, debates and that the incumbents don't usually want them because it gives you platform to the challenger. And in part, you're correct, but debates are meant to serve the public, not the candidates. Uh, debates are supposed to be a chance for people to get to know who's running in the office and where they stand on certain issues. And they're also made for reporters like yourself to ask the hard questions, to get the facts out to the people who are going to vote. And even to the ones who aren't, because they might want to vote after a debate. And in the case of, um, uh, there's been a few times where we had no incumbents running in the race and there was still no debate. And I think that's by design anymore because uh, people have won elections based on the debate for performance. Excuse me. And in the DA's race here in Binghamton, we do not have an incumbent running. Yet we have one who's asking for a debate several times, that would be Matt Ryan, and one who keeps refusing debates, and that would be Batisti. Now, my question is, is, what is he hiding? Why is he afraid? He's not an incumbent, so he has nothing to lose by debating everything to gain, in my opinion. Except unless in his debate it is discovered what his record actually is, uh, who he actually served in our community, and and the trouble he's released into our community by serving those kind of people. And everybody deserves a law. Everybody deserves a lawyer when they're facing court. But a lawyer should have morals, and so shouldn't the DA. Well, I mean, hey, if you're a defense attorney, if somebody needs to be defended, if they've been charged with something, you should defend them. I mean, if if you don't want to provide a strong defense for someone even if they're accused of a heinous offense then maybe you ought to look for another line of work 
I mean, as a defense attorney, that is, or as a public defender, you're supposed to provide a, a really good defense, whether or not you happen to have strong feelings about a crime. That everybody in our system is entitled to good representation, not just the people who are rich and, and can afford uh, some high-profile attorneys, but even people in Binghamton, hey, you know, public defender, or if you can afford um, a good private defense attorney, they're supposed to do the best they can so you will be exonerated, so you will not be found guilty of something you've been charged with. That is true, Bob. And if you go to the Yellow Pages in the phone book and look under L, you're going to see page after page of lawyers that do this for a living. But if you look in that same yellow book for district attorneys, you're going to get one phone number. And we do not need a district attorney who's going to have to recluse himself from cases because he represented the person in front of him as a criminal defense lawyer, which is going to cost the taxpayer between one and three million dollars a year because he, uh, the the special prosecutor they're going to have to bring in is getting $200 an hour, a wage set by the state. All right. Back to your original point about debates. As you know, I'm a strong advocate of debates, or at least on this program, I call them discussion of the issues. And I there's still time. I know some people will uh, think, oh, by the way, uh, Vic, thank you for your call. Some people will think, oh, no, oh, you can't have any debate now. Early voting begins tomorrow. It's too late to turn back now. Well, the truth is, even though early voting will get underway tomorrow, there could still be a debate. The invitation has been extended. The invitation remains open. Now, one thing there won't be, for certain on this program, there's not going to be a candidate forum on the day before Election Day. So Election Day will be Tuesday, November 7th. So what I can tell you is the last possible opportunity for the Broome County District Attorney candidates to show up in this studio together and talk about the issues with the host, the last possible opportunity will be a week from today. That's Friday, November 3rd. And they would have to be here at 11 a.m. So they have a week to adjust their schedule. If they can make it in, good. Now, I personally don't want to do it in the last hour of the program on, on the Friday before Election Day. I'd prefer to do it sooner than that, but that's that's when the window of opportunity will slam shut. It's 1046 at WNBF. John from Binghamton, you're on the air. Hey, uh, always a pleasure to follow the great Vic Furman. Uh, always, always a pleasure. Hey, by the way, Bob, just getting out. You know who first recorded just dropped in? I do not. Jerry Lee Lewis. Really? Yes. I... I'll leave it at that. Thank you. I'll leave it at that one. And I'll just leave it at this. This is a, a sentence that could go go on long, but 
I will just leave it at this. Just three words. There was a guy, dot, dot, dot. Okay, continue. That's not why you called him. There was a guy. Yeah, um, you know, you can tell a lot about uh, uh, from freedom of information requests when there's uh, delays in, in filling uh, stuff that's uh, obvious. Here's uh, some uh, uh, way overdue freedom of information requests that I've filed. One, and I've mentioned this before, uh, the resumes of all county uh, department and uh, de- department heads. Uh, that, for some unknown reason, they can't seem to ferret out uh, that basic information on their own employees. Another one is uh, my request for the uh, required ethics forms. Uh, this is a stumbling block. The last conversation I had on it said, well, we've got to redact their home addresses. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't sound uh, plausible. Uh, and the third one that's uh, presenting a little problem is Jared Cram's hotel bills. Now, why on earth, uh, you know, uh, we pay uh, for him to go here, there, and everywhere, uh, Washington, D.C., Saratoga Springs, etc. Why wouldn't uh, that be just a, an easy, easy uh, fulfillment? I don't know. So uh, that's that's uh, my uh, curiosities. Uh, Bob, on this IBM thing, are, am I supposed to... Uh, Say that uh, is I, did IBM request their stuff back or no? IBM, IBM, as far as I know, is happy. IBM, I don't think IBM. Be honest with you, I see no reason or indication IBM wants its Endicott stuff back. Why would they want it, and what would they do with it? All the indication is that the uh, people, a group of people at the Endicott Museum. For whatever reason, the Endicott History and Heritage Center, apparently they uh, sent a certified letter to IBM after a vote that some say was not really a legitimate vote because some members of the board weren't even aware that there was going to be a vote. So, um, so the vote was three board members who were there voted against contacting IBM, say, uh, we, want, we want you to uh, make arrangements to pick up your stuff. And then three apparently voted in favor of uh, contacting IBM, say oh, we don't want it or need it or whatever. Again, I I haven't been treated to the letter. I'd like to see the letter uh, to abstain. And then according to uh, board members who are opposed the plan to turn the stuff back to our friends in Westchester County, um, apparently there was something about a proxies that were included. So votes for people who were not present at the meeting, and apparently that was the uh, deciding factor. So I guess I guess that's how, uh, how there was a green light to contact IBM with a certified letter and basically put them on notice that, hey, thanks for loaning. And again, I'm paraphrasing because uh, Ted Warner, who's the president of the organization, has not called me back. So I, I don't know. I mean, Ted Warner could call in between now and noon and answer a few questions. So we would know why. Why is it after a decade? Why why would the IBM Endicott collection need to go back to Armonk? Where my concern, John, is if it goes back to Armonk, 
is going to actually not be in Armonk, not at headquarters. It's probably going to go into some sort of nondescript warehouse in a low-rent district of Westchester County, and the stuff will never be seen again by anyone. Well, could it be an attempt to uh, get the uh, to get IBM to donate uh, the stuff if if they don't want it? I mean, oh, probably. It... No, I'm sure. I'm sure. Maybe it's, you know, I, I'm not sure. Maybe it is a squeeze play. It could be some sort of thing like, well, we don't want it anymore. So coming at your expense, which let's face it, so there's a lot of stuff there. So it would cost IBM, I suppose, thousands of dollars. Although who knows what it said in the, the contract. I'm not privy to the contract that IBM has with the people in Endicott, but uh, maybe it'll have to be sent back at the expense of the History and Heritage Center. Either way, it's not going to be cheap. And I'm sure that the people at the Endicott History and Heritage Center would love IBM to, because last I knew, IBM was still raking in billions of dollars a year, so there probably could be a, a thought, well, IBM may not think much about Endicott these days, but heck, they, they certainly could throw us $2 million to help maintain the IBM Endicott collection, help preserve it, and for those interested in the early history of the enterprise, they could check it out from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturdays when the museum's open. Of course, it's not going to be open now till at least December, if then. Well, so if there, I, there is something, John, there's something here that I still don't understand. Well, if I was, from IBM's point of view, uh, I would say if they disown Endicott, uh, it would be a great corporate move because look at what happened. I mean, you had EIT exploit IBM's legacy. They went bankrupt. You've got a couple of fledgling companies peddling this, you know, the home of IBM narrative. Uh, and then you have the pollution uh, settlement. So uh, maybe IBM got tired of this over-exploitation. Maybe it's embarrassing to them, uh, those buildings uh, that uh, the, 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 the owners you're on and then Phoenix let go to hell in a handbasket. I mean, if I was IBM, I'd say, you know, let's follow the advice of Thomas Watson Jr., who had no love. Uh, for Endicott and, uh, you know, uh, close the books on it because these people are, uh, you know, ad infinitum talking about the IBM legacy and they're bringing in companies that don't last and they're allowing the buildings to fall apart. You know, that's that's not how we left Endicott. Oh, and by the way, Thomas Watson Jr., why would he like Endicott? He wasn't born here, so he, he was born in Ohio. And he, of course he didn't like Endicott. That's beside the point. I don't care. And, and of course we miss Thomas Watson Jr. I don't care what Thomas Watson Jr. ever thought about Endicott. The important thing was that Thomas Watson Sr. thought differently than his son. And thankfully, and so Endicott benefited. And as far as if IBM now here's the problem now. So now that apparently a certified letter has been sent to IBM executives going on record. They as far as I know, they have received that certified letter and I understand they may have 
at least sent an initial reply. I'm not privy to either. So now that the Endicott Museum is on record saying we don't want the Endicott collection anymore. So this is this indeed may be irreversible because IBM would say, and, and let's face it, IBM doesn't follow WNBF.com or this program. They don't care. And by the way, as far as what goes, what's gone on in Endicott since 2002, they don't care ultimately in the grand scheme of things. I'm not saying IBM cares nothing about Endicott. Of course they still do. And they still, even though they don't have a physical presence in the village, they still have workers who are assigned to Endicott. So IBM has not disowned Endicott. There was no, if IBM wanted to just say, and they could have, in 2002 when our good friend George Pataki made the big announcement about 4,000 jobs being saved for the next 10 years, IBM could have said at that point when they were divesting most of their Endicott-related holdings, they could have said, yeah, we're taking our museum from North Street and you aren't entitled to it and we'll do whatever the heck we want with it. Goodbye. But instead, they apparently reached this deal. They they had a contract to, to loan out these one-of-a-kind items that are available nowhere else on the planet. And, uh, and now, apparently, they, they've been notified that this museum no longer wants them. They, For all we know, IBM could have a truck there now hauling the, the stuff away, and then they could take it over to the east side of Binghamton and get 30 bucks from the scrap metal place. Ten-second point. There is no better show in town than the exchanges uh, at the Endicott Village board meetings <laughs> between Linda Jackson and Ted Warner. So I, for one, look forward to the next meeting. <laughs> It'll be on pay-per-view. It'll help bring in some additional revenue. Stay tuned, folks. This is WNBF. I'm Bob Joseph, a person who always seems to have a few questions. The program is not over. It will continue. You're listening to WNBF. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF News. Mostly sunny today, high near 76. Partly cloudy tonight, low around 60. Partly sunny Saturday with a chance of showers, high near 69. Sunday, showers with a high near 57. A man wanted in a New York Police Department homicide investigation was taken into custody after he was found in a Binghamton home. Authorities say Thomas Nimmons of Brooklyn was arrested around 8 a.m. Thursday by members of the U.S. Marshals New York, New Jersey Regional Fugitive Task Force. Nimmons was discovered in a single-family residence at 77 Mary Street on Binghamton's south side. According to a news release from the Binghamton Police Department Detective Bureau, Nimmons had been sold in New York City on a parole warrant. He also was wanted on a federal arrest warrant issued by the Eastern District of New York for unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. Nimmons was described as a suspect in a homicide being investigated by police in New York City. He was taken into custody after the Binghamton Metro SWAT team executed a search warrant at the home on Mary Street and transported to city police headquarters where he was turned over to New York Police Department investigators. In Broome County Court, Hassan Costin of Binghamton was sentenced to 12 years in New York State Prison. 
In May, Costin was found guilty by a Broome County jury of felony criminal possession of a controlled substance in the second degree, criminal possession of a controlled substance in the third degree, criminal use of drug paraphernalia, and multiple other drug-related charges. On July 29 of 2021, the Broome County Special Investigations Unit Task Force ex- executed a search warrant at an apartment at 100 Robert Street in the city of Binghamton. Costin was found in possession of over 5.6 ounces of cocaine, crack cocaine, baggies, scale, and $1,200. On August 5th of 2022, a search warrant was executed at 204 Harrison Avenue in the village of Endicott. Costin was found in possession of over 2.5 ounces of cocaine, crack cocaine, and $1,260. Costin, who has a prior felony drug conviction from Nassau County in 2008, will also serve seven years post-release supervision. Thursday around 8.20 a.m., New York State Police and Horseheads responded to a three-vehicle accident with injuries on Route 13 in the town of Veteran. A preliminary investigation revealed a 2016 Ford Fusion operated by a jury of Vanessa of Ithaca was traveling northbound on Route 13 in the left lane, approaching a 2019 Chevy Silverado pulling an open trailer operated by a male from Pine Valley, which was also northbound on State Route 13 in the right lane. A third vehicle, a 2018 Freightliner operated by Jeremy Sobels of Skinny Atlas with an open trailer, was traveling southbound in Route 13 in the single southbound lane. The Chevy began to merge left due to the right lane ending. The Ford was speeding up in an attempt to get around the Chevy. The Ford then made contact with the rear of the Chevy and trailer, causing it to lose control and travel into the southbound lane. The Freightliner then struck the Chevy. The 25-year-old male operator and sole occupant of the Chevy was pronounced deceased on the scene. Vanessa was transported to Guthrie Robert Packer Hospital in Pennsylvania by life flight and is in stable condition. Sobos was checked over by EMS on the scene and released. On October 17th, Delaware County Sheriff's deputies located a vehicle parked in the roadway in the town of Walton, unoccupied and nobody around the vehicle. Upon the scene, deputies located hunting equipment in plain view inside the vehicle. Upon further investigation, sheriff's deputies were able to locate multiple juveniles in a field nearby, along with a deceased deer, which appeared to have been killed recently. As a result of the investigation, New York State DEP seized the deer on the scene, scene, and the juveniles were turned over to the care of their parents. On October 25th, the Ross Park Zoo welcomed four red wolves to the pack. It's been several years since there have been, since there have been new additions. The wolves include a 13-year-old male along with three sons, one 6-year-old and the other two 5-years-old. The red wolves arrived at the wolf con- from the Wolf Conservation Center in Salem, New York. They will share the newly renovated wolf woods habitat along with Karma, a longtime resident of the Ross Park Zoo. The 13-year-old Red Wolf and Karma will be taking up residence in the lower yard of the Wolfwoods habitat, while the three brothers will be roaming the upper yard. The upper yard is visible from the outside observation deck and inside the Wolfwoods habitat building. For visitors, the wolves should be more easily spotted with the addition of four more, along with the autumn die-off of ground vegetation. The Wolfwoods indoor facility has been refurbished, is climate controlled, and features large tinted glass windows to observe the Ross Park Zoo's red wolves. 
The Ross Park Zoo notes that in 1967, red wolves were listed as endangered and in 1980 declared extinct in the wild. Currently, there are about 235 red wolves in 49 red wolf safe facilities in the United States. That's a look at news. For updates on local news, weather, sports, and features, open up the WNBF app and online at WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290, WNBF. Bob Joseph, it's Friday morning. Binghamton now continues. We'll be taking more of your calls coming up in a few minutes. So stay tuned. We'll give you what you want. We give you the information you want and need. That's why we're here every weekday morning from 9 to noon. We're joined now by Mark Smith. He's the Republican election commissioner for Broome County. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for having me back on. Well, I'm glad you could be with us. Unfortunately, your uh, Democratic colleague, Daniel D. Reynolds, is... uh, otherwise engaged or else i'm sure he would join us to uh, talk a bit about early voting here in broome county which will begin tomorrow correct definitely so of course dan will be missed but um i'm here and uh yes early voting kicks off tomorrow saturday october 28th uh as in the past we have four early voting locations at the broome county public library george f johnson memorial library Oakdale Commons, the former Ruby Tuesdays location, and uh, Taste NY building on Upper Front. Uh, so we have uh, early voting running from tomorrow through Sunday, uh, November 5th. Uh, most of the voting, most of the times are the same, but there's a few days that have different times. Uh, so I would suggest that all the listeners, to any listener, who will be interested in voting uh, at one of these early voting sites to go to broomvotes.com to see the sites and the uh, times for each location. So just simple general guidance is early voting, for the most part, starting tomorrow will be from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the four locations. Uh, two exceptions will be on, on Monday and Tuesday, and the hours will be from noon to 8 p.m. But again... To uh, avoid, as I say, to avoid confusion and disappointment, check out the hours on the website, broomvotes.com, to ensure greatest voting satisfaction. Exactly. That's exactly right, Bob. So what has the experience been over the last couple of years when it comes to early voting? The concept uh, is a relatively recent innovation in New York State. It had taken a, a long time and fair amount of uh, discussion and debate before it was finally approved by the legislature. Are people generally getting acclimated to the fact you can vote uh, in person before Election Day, if you wish? Yeah, that's exactly right, Bob. Relatively new for New York State. Uh, We've had it for a few years now. Uh, And each year, uh, we're seeing a better turnout. Uh, Obviously, this is considered more of an off-year election because it's not a presidential race. So next year, uh, we definitely will likely see uh, much higher numbers, but 
We get great voter uh, turnout uh, during early voting. We get great feedback from voters. Uh, they're really excited uh, that they have more opportunity to vote and to go to a polling location uh, at a time that works better with their schedules. So a lot of great feedback, a lot of great feedback from our great poll workers as well. Uh, so this has been a very positive change here in uh, Broome County. Election Day will be on Tuesday, November 7th. Does Broome County have a sufficient number of poll workers to uh, deal with the tasks of, of operating the, the various polling places on a on Election Day from 6 in the morning to 9 at night? That's a, that's a long day for our poll workers, and, and luckily we, we will have uh, fully staffed poll sites. Uh, the Board of Elections, the staff out of the Board of Elections, uh, can't say this enough. They are just, they go above and beyond, especially this time of year. Uh, they've been doing great work to uh, find poll workers, train poll workers, bring the, the uh, returning poll workers in, and, and really go and find uh, new poll workers to join, join us this year. So uh, our dedicated staff, they put in so many hours, uh, and they will continue to put in a lot of long hours in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but uh, because of their efforts, we are going to have uh, fully staffed poll sites and um, we expect good things on uh, November 7th. Anything people should know about voting this year? I, I, I'm not sure that there's any any stunning new development at this point, but is there anything you as uh, as a county election commissioner would like to remind people, whether it's for early voting or voting on November 7th? Uh, you know, n- no one should see any changes from the last couple of years. Uh, everything is very standard. Uh, shouldn't see any surprises or anything really new. Um, as a reminder for, for listeners, uh, tomorrow is, uh, the last day to register for the general election. So, uh, that would be my one tip for anyone who, uh, hasn't registered or who has questions about their registration. Uh, I would suggest going to broomvotes.com, uh, or calling the Broom Board of Elections at 607 607- Seven seven eight two one seven two. But other than that, uh, no surprises. Uh, very similar to what we've seen in the past, and uh, I definitely, definitely recommend uh, taking advantage of early voting uh, to avoid any potential lines and to you know find a time that works for everyone's schedule. Mark Smith, Republican Election Commissioner for Broome County. I appreciate your calling in and giving us. A good overview for early voting and also preparing for election day. And you know what? I I predict, Mr. Smith, I predict there will be no close races in Broome County this year. That's those are my favorite type of races. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I was crossing my fingers. You know, for for people at the board of elections, that's that's sort of what what you would prefer, not to have necessarily a repeat of of some of the things that have happened over the last few years. On the other hand, for talk show hosts and journalists, it's like, wow, you mean we can talk about the elections into December, or even better, could we talk about the elections until January and sort of get our congressional district and the national spotlight yeah yeah the people at boards of elections in upstate new york love that kind of attention well you know about my my first uh, election as election commissioner was the uh uh the court check about batisi's race the first time they ran 
And then, then the, uh, pretty sure the very next one was the, uh, Claudia Tenney, Anthony Brindisi race. So, uh, <laughs> we are, we, we are, we are good to go at the board of elections. We are tried and true. We, we, we've seen it all. So, well, that's the uh, thing. They, they can never take away your memories. <laughs> of course, of course. And I'm sure making new ones along the way. Of course. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Hope you have a good weekend. You too as well. Thank you, Bob. 1118. This is Bob Joseph. You're listening to Binghamton Now. From the Galt Auto Studios, this is WNBF News Radio AM 1290. Also available at 92.1 FM. Shop Toyota, Chevy, BMW, and pre-owned at GaltAuto.com. This is the Binghamton Now program. We're here every weekday morning, 9 to noon. And I'm your host, Bob Joseph. We're joined now by the executive director of the Endicott History and Heritage Center, Marlene Yakos. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Very good. I so- understand you had some questions about the voting. Um, I wasn't listening totally to your your show all the way through, so maybe if you could fill me in on what the question was. Well, it's just uh, generally what happened in in September, and I know we did speak uh, off the air Thursday afternoon a bit about what what happened with the uh, the board with the History and Heritage Center in September. As far as the vote regarding the IBM Endicott collection, did all the board members know? that this was going to be uh, something that was going to be discussed and and perhaps decided at the September meeting? No, we had no idea that was going to be uh, taking a vote to give back the collection at that time. We had discussed it previously, you know, what would we do, what if situations and different scenarios, but we had no idea that that was going to be the vote taken that night. And there were three people who voted to keep the collection there and three people who voted to return the collection. And there were two people who abstained, and then the people who wanted to return the collection produced a proxy vote from someone who was not there, who voted in their favor, and then we it was a four-to-three vote. But we were not allowed, as our no votes, we were not allowed to get proxy votes for for our voting. 
And they said, because your people aren't there. And I says, and again, you, neither are your people here. But they allowed proxy votes for people who were not present. And and I can't, I can only speak to what he told me, that they were proxy votes. We never saw them. So I can't tell you what the piece of paper was, only that they said it was a proxy vote. Whether it was signed and what it was, I have no idea. Yeah. And we have but not I, seen we have not seen the letter either that was sent out of, apparently uh, from the board, which our names are on that as a board member, but we've not been allowed to see the letter. So you said he. You're referring to Ted Warner, who's the, yes, president, the president of the Endicott History and Heritage Center. So the question still that so many people who are out of the loop regarding all this is is why? What would motivate? the museum to want to return these unique historic items that are part of the history of IBM Endicott. We were told that we were losing money. We are not making any money on that particular portion of the building, and we do own the building. The Old Village of Union Historical Society owns the entire building. So we have a renter on the left side of the building who pays us rent and that kind of covers some of our expenses for utilities but on the right side of the building that is where the IBM collection is there's no rent money coming in it's only donations that come in when people come in through the door uh, the upstairs above that museum is the local history museum and of course that does not get any rent and then on the Side above the rent-a-center, which uh, it's the business that rents from us, it's like a community room, which now we have a collection of time clocks there, which to me is another treasure. You have over 400 time clocks, big wooden time clocks between two and seven feet tall um, that was in a private collection. That gives us no rent, and we did have a renter on the third floor. So it was a matter of money, saying that we don't have any rent coming in, and if we give back the IBM collection, then we can rent out the first floor. So is, was there any kind of expectation that once IBM received a certified letter indicating that the museum no longer wants the Endicott collection, that, that maybe IBM would somehow put forth some, some money to help the History and Heritage Center? That was probably a wish list. I'm not really sure if that was in everybody's mind. I mean, that was that was hopeful, but I don't think that was the way to go about it. You don't send a threatening letter and then expect them to pay you. Um, this should have been something that was back in a contract 10 years ago. IBM, you're giving us your collection. Would it be possible for you to give us, you know, so much a month for utilities and things like that? That was not done. And now, 10 years later, we're looking at to get some money for this. And to me, it's about money. I don't, it's my personal opinion. It's nothing to do with the board or the, the historical society, but it's about getting money to run this place. But if you get rid of the IBM collection, that was what most people came for. If they were local people, even visitors from out of town, we have visitors from all over the world coming in. And the, they're just absolutely thrilled that we have something like this here. We even have QR tours. So you can take your smartphone and walk around. You don't even need people to go with you. But it's, it's a fascinating display. 
it's a hundred years of computer history. So everything you see on that first floor enabled you to have this phone in your pocket today with one push of a button. You can do imagine, you know, wonderful things. So I just think it's, it's, a, it's a sadness on all of us who were either IBMers or had family there that, that they're just throwing it away. You know, I, I don't blame IBM. IBM was happy to keep it there, but I think if they'd have, maybe they had asked or gone for, you know, grants them somehow, maybe we could have kept it. I'm just hopeful that maybe someone will step up and say, I'll give you some money for a couple of years so that you can keep this there. Clearly, this is very near to your heart, near and dear, because IBM has been part of your life had been yeah. for decades before yeah. you retired. Right. My father was there for 44 years. My mother worked there probably six years during the war and after, and I was there for 35 years. So it's, it's uh, you know, it's 80 years or whatever of, of working for a company. It wasn't perfect, no, but no company is. But, you know, it made a good life for us. And I think it made a good life for a lot of people in this community. Not to say that EJ didn't, because it did. EJ built Endicott, and between Endicott and IBM, they're worldwide companies that came from this little village in Endicott here. At one time in the 50s, EJ was the largest shoe company in the world, making one million pairs of shoes a week. A week. Can you imagine that? Between Endicott, Union, Johnson City. It's it's amazing of, of you know what happened here in this community. And a lot of people don't know it. And this is what we are trying to do, get the story out to school kids. I mean, we welcome any kind of school group coming in and we'll open special for them. We've done that before. I know we're only open Saturdays because there's a a limited amount of volunteers that will come in. But if a school group wants to come, we're open. We're open to give them tours of anything and, you know, instruct them in, in the way of technology. You mentioned you haven't you haven't seen the letter, the certified letter that was sent to IBM after no. the September vote. No, and several people have asked, and he's just not forthcoming with it. He says we have to wait until IBM responds, which I don't agree with. It was our letter. It has nothing to do with IBM responding to us or not. It's a letter do you know whether IBM, have you heard whether IBM responded to the letter? I, I know they received the letter. They received the letter a week after we had our board meeting. I don't know any of their responses yet. I, apparently they're waiting for a response from legal next week. Is it too late? There are some people who are hearing about this who heard the rumors in recent weeks since the meeting in September. And now those who have heard the news since we've been reporting it, some people are concerned that it's too late by contacting IBM to indicate any kind of displeasure with the current arrangement that it's not, for whatever reason, it's not working out, that the IBM could respond at any time now and say, okay, we've read your letter, we're making arrangements, we're going to send up the trucks, and then uh, at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning there could be trucks out, out there behind 40 Washington Avenue or in front of the place, and they could take all of the IBM Endicott collection, and it could be gone, never to be seen by anyone again. Mm, 
I worry about that too. I'm hoping it's not too late. I'm hoping that if they haven't, the trucks aren't on the road, we can stop anything. Anything can be stopped. Um, it was not a majority vote. It was a majority vote. It was not a unanimous vote. Let me correct myself there. It was not unanimous. There are people who are still passionate about keeping it here. Whether IBM is so big of a corporation that it doesn't matter to them, I don't know. I know big corporations don't always get down to the the grassroots level. Now, maybe they will take it, but it's going to cost them money to take this back. It would be in their interest to leave it here. I'm 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 almost positive we don't have to pay, but then again, I don't know because I haven't seen the contract either. We're not privy to the contract. Well, it would seem even even if IBM and the current executives in Westchester County uh, don't fully appreciate the the place that Endicott had in the the early years of the company, or if they're concerned about some of the things that that certainly happened uh, in the aftermath because of uh, chemical contamination and, and things like that, where where they might think, oh well, if we can sort of detach ourselves and and exit as gracefully as possible from Endicott altogether, that that kind of um, the, the letter that we received from the Endicott History and Heritage Center is is just what, you know, will serve our, our long-term interest. If if they don't want it, we'll get, you know, we'll make arrangements to take that stuff out. As we know, it was just in the last few months, IBM finally ended its physical presence in the village, although it still has workers here in Broome County. You know, and they might say, I could see someone not necessarily the top person at IBM, but somebody who makes day-to-day operating decisions say, yeah, if, if um, Endicott doesn't want this stuff, I, I guess this will help complete our, our overall exit strategy. And they might think that spending whatever it costs to get the the items out of Endicott would be uh, money well spent. I can see that. I can see the point there. And I remember a couple months ago when it was in the paper and on the news that IBM would no longer have a physical presence here that Mary O'Malley Trumbull said, we will continue to have a presence here through the Endicott History and Heritage Center collection. So that's what we were hoping for, that it was still going to stay here. Apparently, Mr. Warner doesn't think that was good enough. And I don't know. I, I've heard people say that there were places that we could have gotten grants. Whether they explored that, I don't know. You would have to talk with him and his nephew. They were the ones that were going out and looking for money. So you mentioned Mary O'Malley Trumbull, who is the IBM Endicott Senior Location Executive, or that was her title earlier this year. I don't know if her title has been adjusted, but she's a local person, so she's familiar with with the feelings the community has for the heritage of IBM and even for these physical items that, that tell so much about the community's history. Do you have a sense, has anybody been in contact with her to uh, communicate um, how this is a complicated situation where insofar as corporate may receive this certified letter, from the board of directors at the museum, but it doesn't reflect the views of everyone in charge. Do, do you know if anybody's attempted to contact her? 
I know that Ted and his nephew were in contact with her before the letter was sent out. But you would have to ask them what they discussed. Well, as far as... We're not privy to that, but they did discuss it with her. Um, And she may not be in a position to counteract what corporate is going to do. On the other hand, here's here's, uh, a question. Have, Have you or anybody else who is opposed to... Uh, giving up the IBM Endicott collection at the museum. Has anybody tried to reach her? Uh, I did. To, you, you yes, have? I did. I left her a message yesterday. I was not able to get in t- touch with her, but I did leave her a message. And I asked her, is there something that we can do? But I haven't heard back from her yet. Bottom line is you would like to talk to her. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I have a dream that we could bring this somewhere else and have it open to the public but we would need a sponsor because the 501c3 corporation is with the Old Village of Union Historical Society, which is a nonprofit. We do not have a nonprofit at the museum per se. So the museum is part of the historical society with the nonprofit status. So that if we separated it from the historical society, we would have to become a 501c3 nonprofit in order to be allowed to have the a collection with IBM. And I'm certainly they're not going to give it to some group of passionate IBMers who have no money to take care of this collection. Even though we would do an excellent job, we have no money. Strikes me that the IBM Endicott collection has to be viewed as priceless. Yes, because you can't find that stuff anywhere. anywhere. And all the things that people have donated to us that they've found in their homes, in their parents' homes, that is priceless also. They are giving us something that is a memory for them. It's priceless. They've given it to us. They've entrusted us with their memories. And we have a lot of things from IBMers, from EJ people, just plain Endicott people that are bringing us stuff of a, a menu that was on a Washington Avenue uh, restaurant or tickets to an EJ ball or IBM golf club that was used at the country club. I mean, we have so many things that people have no idea that they even had in their homes. You know, they're finding all these things at the age that we are now. We're all cleaning out stuff and we're finding things. And these are treasures that they've given to us and they've been cataloged. And to just dismiss all this, it's beyond sad. I don't know what else to say. And there are so many people that share my feelings. I'm just hoping that we find some rich millionaire that grew up in Endicott and and will donate a couple bucks to us to keep it going. Well, as you know, there are people in that category who, if they hear about the situation, would be in a position to do that. That would be wonderful. So we, we may have to explore that. Well, we also, uh, as you probably know, we received uh, a note from another board member, Katie Rodriguez. She yeah. uh, met, mentioned that she had been contacted by you. And so so now with her uh, comments that she sent by email, also the comments that you've made on the program, is there is there any thought to even contacting beyond the the Endicott executive, any thought that those who are opposed to uh, having the Endicott collection moved out of the village would 
sent a certified letter on their own to make clear to IBM corporate that although you've received this note from the board that there are some strong opposing views to to this move and that there is a, a sentiment in the community wanting to to keep and and celebrate the heritage and and help people appreciate how IBM got its start that would never happen i can tell you my opinion he would never send a note like that ted werner would but never would send you? a letter and my would question I? is would you or katie rodriguez or the other board member who voted to keep the IBM collection in endicott would individually or together would would you contact IBM corporate and say, in case you didn't know, although you did receive a letter after the board's meeting in September indicating one thing, that that it's not unanimous and, and that there are people in the community who, who would love to find a way to keep this exhibit in Endicott. That's an idea. You've given me an idea, and I will discuss it with Katie and the other board members. That's it's an excellent idea. Well, keep me posted if okay. you if you if you see anything happening or hear of anything happening, uh, please contact me. Bob at WNBF.com. In fact, I've deputized all listeners. All listeners, if you hear or see anything going on regarding the IBM Endicott collection, send a, uh, an email to me immediately. Okay, we will do that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bob. And that is the executive director at the Endicott History and Heritage Center, Marlene Yakos. She had told us when we discussed this off the air Thursday afternoon that people were just devastated by this planned move. She says the IBM collection is beautiful. Stay tuned. We'll continue to follow this story in the coming days. I'm Bob Joseph. This is Binghamton Now, 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, streaming at WNBF.com. Eleven forty-five. Bob Joseph live. WNBF. Pete, formerly a Vestal, you're on the air. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well. How are things? Good. I got I got problems. I got two things I got a problem with. One, last week I wanted to call when that that person running for office, district attorney's office, was on, and he was addressing what the other candidate said, what Matt, Matt Ryan was addressing, what Paul Batista said. I, don't like, I know we don't like using names, but they're public officials running for office, so we can address their names and what they've said, I believe. So he said, Matt Ryan said, when he was addressing what Batista said about the bail reforms and, and locking people up, and Matt Ryan said something to the effect of that they make mistakes, and you can't prosecute them for making mistakes. And I'm summarizing how he said it. It wasn't exactly how he said it. But the word he used was they made mistakes. I don't think Paul Batiste is talking about some criminal making a mistake. He's talking about the gun possessions. These criminals and these kids who are possessing guns are not making mistakes. They're intentional acts. That's a, that's a big difference. A mistake is, is accidentally driving through a red light or something you, you, you make a mistake on. 
these are criminal acts that Paul Batiste is talking about, prosecuting to the fullest extent that they should be, and not making excuses for them. Before he's even in office, he's making excuses for them. So that's a, a serious, I, I don't see how we get around that. But that's a typical Democrat, liberal Democrat for you. Just make excuses for the, for the people, let them do what they want, and then we'll see where we stand. Now, my second subject I'm going to bring up is Otsonango Park, where it's a really nice park, but when you're pushing a stroller with a grandkid in it and you're at the bathroom and you want to get to the walking path, you have to walk along the road because there's no path that goes directly right across to the other the pathway. I don't know who thought of this at the park, but why would they not have a path that goes right across the road from the, park, from the bathrooms right directly to the path so you can walk? There's paths all in other places, but not from the bathroom. So you got to walk in the roadway with the stroller and have these cars, and most, and some of them don't even pay attention to what the proper speed limit is, and they go wizard past you. So that's an issue. And parking is my second issue. Why do they make those angles, those parking spots directly right-angled instead of putting a little bit of an angle on them so that they can, it's easy to pull in and pull out of. And it's a one-way area, so why wouldn't you angle them so when you back out, you've got to go the one direction? I can see people making a mistake and turn around and going the wrong way. So I don't know why they lined them that way, exactly straight angle. When they put a little bit of an angle on them, it would have been so much easier and nicer. Yeah. And a lot easier to pull in and out. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, they I'm surprised they haven't fixed that after half a century. Well, it was it was after they paved and they put all the new lines up. They made it worse. It used to be angled, and then they made it straight, and it was it's it's stupid. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that they changed that because I was going to say I thought they were angled, but I haven't paid attention to to what it's like now. Yeah, it was last year when they paved it, and then they put them in straight. And it's like, go over and take a drive through and see. It's like I think I will. You you gave me you gave me my assignment for this afternoon from twelve thirty to four thirty. I'm going to hang out at the park and I'll I'll take pictures of a the way the parking spaces are now set up, and then I'll I'll take a picture of where a, a more convenient path would be so people would have access to the facilities a more direct way i think that's a good excuse for me to spend friday afternoon on a nice summer day i mean a nice autumn day in otsenango park so thank you yeah and then go up quick and look at the dog park and see how muddy it is (laughs) i was waiting to hear that that's awesome yeah yeah it's one big giant mud hole Great place to put a dog park. Let's spend ninety-five thousand dollars and make a mud hole. <laughs> Thank you, Pete. <laughs> uh, Pete, formerly from Festival, it's eleven fifty at News Radio WNBF. We're here for you. We serve the community. I actually show up every morning like clockwork at WNBF. WNBF Live. DJ in Binghamton, you're on the air. Well, happy Friday, everybody. What a beautiful day. 
Hey, you know, Bob, I just heard that um, caller talking about, uh, I didn't catch his name, a park, and it reminded me of when I, Illinois, I was doing ministry in Illinois, I came back here, somebody blessed me with a puppy. So I was walking there to the park, and someone comes, hey, hey, you got to keep a keep it on a leash and pick up the poop and everything. Well, anyway, my question is, do you know how they say you have to pick up your dog's poop because it spreads disease? Well, I was in Otzeningo Park, and there is more geese poop all over that walkway than you can shake a stick at. And I'm thinking to myself, if dog poop causes disease, why is all the geese poop all over the roadway? That is, I mean, isn't that going to cause? Well, yeah. Uh, so are, are they supposed to? So here's the question to you. Sorry for our more sensitive viewers. So are they supposed yeah. to come in every day and kill them? No, wash up the wash the poop off with a sprayer. Who? Who's going to do that? Who you? takes care of the park, the county? They don't have they don't have the time or the money to come in and wash that up every day. Oh, come what? on, man! Oh, come on, Bob. Yes, they have the money. No, they have no money. They don't have the time. What? Who? Uh, who do you know on this planet who's going to sign up for a job where you have to do that every morning? Well, I'll tell you this. You hear the street sweepers coming down, sweeping up on the road. They were here yesterday, time and time again, going up and down the road. Somebody, they, they can find the time. It, it doesn't take a lot. It's not I a question of finding about- the time. It's finding the people. They already have too many open positions at the county. If they put up a, a, a bulletin, oh, uh, a rewarding experience every morning, come to Otzingo Park and do this. Who in their right mind would sign up for that job, even at 50 bucks an hour? Come on, man. But, Bob, think of the children. I think of the children. If you care about the children, DJ, you'll go out there every morning, seven days a week, and clean it up. Have you seen the, the pumpkin contest where they're all walking around and the children getting that all over their shoes and tracking it into their house on their, on their carpet? If it spreads disease, listen, it's not that complicated to get some that's why i said if it's not that complicated you go out there every morning at six and clean it up every morning it's a one-time thing well okay then go out and do it if it's a big deal and you care about the kids and their health get out there i'll be over there at 5 p.m today to see if you've cleaned it all up no, you meet me there with your jugs. And we'll no, I will not. I'm not going to be cleaning up goose poop at Otzenego Park today. I have to report on stories. I am not in the business of cleaning up poop in the park. I'll give you all the stories. I got the stories. Don't worry about stories, okay? I don't want to hear those stories. I need to go out. I already know what stories I need to cover, and they're not going to cover themselves I already have assigned myself the stories. So you go out, clean up the poop in the park. You send a picture after it's all cleaned up. And then uh, when I have a chance, I'll get over just to verify. Trust but verify. If you meet me there, I will. I'm not going to meet you there. I don't want to meet you at the park. I just want proof that you've gotten it cleaned up by 4 p.m. Come on, I'll bring Moxie. Moxie. No. No. I don't want to drink Moxie while you're cleaning up poop in the park. All right, Bob. Have a blessed weekend, brother. (laughs) You too. (laughs) What a program. And I enjoy it. I love it. I'll be back Monday morning. 
And don't you worry about a thing. I'm Bob Joseph. Have a great weekend. Listening to WNBF and WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 AM, WNBF Binghamton. Now on 92.1 FM, W221 EJ Binghamton, a town square media station.